Hey, while we might not be as fast as those guys racing in the Tour de France, cyclists like you and me are always trying to boost our performance and aid our recovery. And that's where today's sponsor, MitoQ, comes in. Like everything else in our bodies, our mitochondria become less efficient as we age. From the age of 30 on, levels of a CoQ10 in the mitochondria can decline by 10% with each passing decade. This means that our body's natural resilience also declines, which can impact our training, our recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, stress, hormones, and even brain power. And this is why a new supplement called MitoQ is becoming so popular with endurance athletes. It helps the body better deal with intense training periods and then recover faster. Some athletes have even said they've improved their VO2 max, heart rate variability, and lactate thresholds. When you combine that with not needing as long to recover and being able to maintain more intense training cycles, you can see why MitoQ might help you achieve your performance gains. To learn more about the unique formula of MitoQ, to read some independent clinical trials and read some independent athlete testimonials, go to mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling. That's www.mitoq.com slash power up cycling. Thanks to MitoQ for sponsoring this episode of the Velo News Podcast. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you on a Wednesday mid-morning, uh, coming to you a day later this week than we've been doing. Um, I just really wanted to get in this uh, Stage 17 up to Col de la Lowe's before we recorded the podcast, so I pushed it back a day. And what a day it was. We have thrilling action to get to. We're going to talk all about it with Jens Vogt. Um, later in the show, James Start and Andrew Hood have their dispatch from the side of the Col de la Lowe's. They are, they're there currently um, freezing in the fog, recording what it's like to be up there on a climb that we thought was going to have no fans. Turns out there was a ton of fans on the side of the Col de la Lowe's. Um, they're going to be talking about that. Um, and then also, we have a dispatch from American Sep Kuss. Sep has been the super domestique for Primoz Roglic throughout this race. He's a guy who's been on our radar many times. Friends of the podcast may remember Sep coming on the podcast uh, about a year ago uh, to tell us all about his rapid rise. So we're going to hear from Sep. Uh, but before we get to that, we need to talk about the action, uh, the big GC action that we saw today on the Col de la Lowe's. And Jens is here to talk all about the soaring success of Miguel Angel Lopez, the crushing defeat of Rigoberto Iran and everything else that happened in between. Jens, I mean, what's your overall takeaway from today's stage? Well, first of all, the stage did not disappoint. We expected an open battle from all the GC contenders, and the stage absolutely did not disappoint us. I can't remember a day in a tour where I have seen the top 10 or 11 or 12 riders off the stage single one by one, not even two or three riders together. I haven't seen that in years. It was a brutal climb. And yeah, it delivered a spectacle we haven't seen for a long time. So obviously, Primoz Roglic has just a little bit better legs. And his team were lucky because the team Bahrain McLaren from Michelanda took over the job quite early in the race. They did set a high tempo. Did all the work, didn't work out for Mikelanda, but hey, they 
for sure did give it a go. Well, then we came like just a little closer to the finish line. And I believe Roglic played a little bluff game, little poker game with Pogacar. He looked at him, no, nah, I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to sit behind. Suddenly, Zep Kurs is 50 meters ahead of his own yellow jersey teammate. And then Miguel Ansel Lopez goes, that's the moment. I got to go. They don't want to go. I got to go. So he jumped across to Zep Kurs. Zep Kurs, of course, well, what should I what should I do? Should I go for the stage or should I wait for my captain? He decided to wait for the captain, pulled a little bit for him. And then, yeah, Primus Roglic went just a little late to catch Miguel Angel Lopez, but well-deserved win by Miguel Angel Lopez. He's now third overall. So all in all for him, it was a fantastic day. Yeah, we see this every uh, now again in the tour, a guy who really starts to come on in week three. And I'm full, I will fully admit, I didn't totally write off Miguel Angel Lopez after the Pyrenees, but I didn't think he would be battling for the podium. I thought maybe top five, top seven. He looked really bad on the climb to Marie Blanc and lost a lot of time. I mean, he was back with some of the super domestiques on that day. So to see him doing this well uh, in the Alps and seemingly getting getting stronger with every day is a really interesting development of this year's Tour de France. Yeah, we got to talk about the Roglic Sep thing because like my Twitter blew up with that. I heard the announcers, you know, at first they were kind of criticizing Sep being like, wait, is he dropping his team leader? Is this a case of, you know, him going a little too hard and not knowing what to do, getting caught in no man's land? And then afterwards, Roglic did did give some comments that said, hey, 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 look, I told him to go for it, you know, like, let's try out a little little shake and bake, a little like strategery. And um, I mean, whether it, whether it played out, whether it worked, I think I think you could say it did work. I mean, Roglic did get a 15 second gap on Pogachar. He didn't get the stage win. But um, in the moment, what were you thinking when you saw Sep go? Were you thinking up? Oh, couple uh pedal strokes too hard there or were you thinking ooh Yumbo's trying something sneaky out? Well, at first I I thought Roglic is in trouble he cannot follow his teammate and soon Pogacar is going to attack him and uh, trying to drop him but then um, Miguel Angel Lopez went um, just as you said I had him for a very good top 10 like 4, 5, 6 I wasn't sure if he can be on a podium. I, I have to agree with you there, Fred. Um, but yeah, he proved me wrong, and I'm happy to see that because he's, he's a really good rider, fantastic rider today. Um, yeah, then Seb Kurs went. I'm like, wait, can he not follow what's going on? And so probably Seb Kurs, he thought, well, should I go try to win the stage or should I wait for my captain in yellow back there? Both are pretty important jobs, right? Winning a stage or helping your leader. It's like, poof. What should I do? Um, but and I don't know if Seb um, Kurs had a team a team radio and they told him, look, just go back and ride a little tempo for Primoz Roglic. And today is the first time in the entire Tour de France we saw Tadej Pogacar in the defense. He is not on the offense. He's not attacking. It's not him setting the tempo. It's not him dropping people. He today... First time in this tour, he actually had to work hard to limit his loss. I wonder what that does to his head for the stage tomorrow and also for the time trial coming. Yeah, you're right. I mean, his attacks up to this point in the race have shaped the race. I mean, his aggression has completely shaped the race. And so to see him not able to go, you got to wonder, okay, 
Is that a is that a today thing? Is that an altitude thing, or is he starting to lose some speed? Because uh, we're recording this uh, Wednesday, and Thursday's stage is no joke. I mean, it's four big categorized climbs. It's not a summit finish, but there's definite mm-hmm. opportunities there for if you're not feeling it. You know, you could lose a ton of time. So, following Tade Pogachar, I mean, I, up to this point, I'm like, ah, oh, Roglic and Pogachar, those two, and then you know, whoever's battling for the podium. That's an interesting battle, but. If uh, Lopez is coming on this strong right now, and he is so explosive, he has those explosive accelerations. Um, Pogacar, I think he's only thirty nine or thirty eight seconds ahead of Lopez in the in the GC now. So he's got to have he's got to play some defense now coming up. So the ta- yeah the table has turned for Tade Pogacar. Tade Pogacar. People have been saying it's Pogacar. Pogacar. Yeah, apparently that's what it is. Yes, the emphasis is on the other A, Pogacar. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, I have been told the same thing. Interesting little fact. Somewhere in the middle of the stage, the breakaway is still out there, and I believe Team Jimbo Wismar still riding tempo. Um, they come to a hilltop finish, and Tade Pogaccia, we got it, Pogaccia, is actually jumps across the leading team to get fifth or sixth place in a KOM. And he is now leading the KOM jersey as well. And I don't think he want to give that up. Of course, he's not going to kill himself to keep it. But if it's enough to sneak in a few more points here and there, he will do it. Um, so everybody else, Pierre Rolong, Leonard Kemner, or Kostner, for whoever dreams of that um, jersey, they got to consider the fact that Pogacar doesn't want to give it up. He wants the white jersey and the white jersey with the polka dots as well. So I believe he got both jerseys pretty much, like, you know, fixed. That's I think that that is done. But, yes, he got to look behind to see what Miguel Angel Lopez does. Wouldn't be surprised if tomorrow he attacks on the last climate into the downhill mm. because he's a fearless descender um, and he might try to do some damage to his uh, competitors over there. I always think it's funny every now and again we see this in the Tour de France where a guy is so strong that, yeah, he has multiple jerseys, you know. And Tade Pogaccia was asked about the polka dot jersey and he was like, yeah, it's great. You know, I go for it. The opportunity's there. You know, I'd, I'd rather have yellow. So this is kind of, uh, not, I wouldn't say consolation prize, but it's not my big primary focus. And you think, man, some guys, they race their whole career. They spend decades trying to get something like the polka dot jersey. And then there's just this super talented kid. And he's like, I got jerseys for days, man. I don't really want this one. I'd rather have that one. But yeah, you know, if I get it, no biggie. Well, and also remember, um, there is, I believe it is 50,000 Swiss francs or euro uh, for their jerseys, 30 for second, 20,000 for third place. So, you know, he's just trying to put some steaks in the fridge for the team. You know, I mean, hey, you know, they all got to eat. They all got families that only want to eat. And 50,000 to have or not to have, it's better than a kick in the teeth, my friend. Much better than a kick in the teeth. Uh, Jens, I want to ask you again, uh, or, uh, I want to ask you about Bahrain, uh, McLaren, and um, Mika Landa, because they did so much work today. They pulled over the Madeleine. They pulled up the Col de la Lowe's. You could really tell that they wanted to do something. Kudos to them for being aggressive and trying something out. Mika Landa obviously didn't have it in the finale. You know, he, he rode strongly. He lost some, you know, he, I think he was ahead of Uran. He lost oh, a minute 20. Not a disaster, but not great. Um, what, have you ever been in a situation like that where you work really hard for your GC guy, 
and he just doesn't have it at the end. And what's that dynamic like at the dinner table that night? In my long career, I have probably been in both situations. I was the leader that maybe couldn't pull it off, and I was in a position to work hard, and the leader couldn't pull it off. It's, um, you know, like my dad used to say, you know, be generous when you win and stand tall in defeat, you know? Just, you just, just got to take it like a champ. Take it like a, you know, take it on the chin and go, yeah, well, I, I got knocked down and I wasn't good enough. There's no other explanation. Uh, I'm sorry, team. I, I fucked it up. And the team is going to go, if it's a good team, the team will go, listen, you were still our best and only option. We couldn't have done half of that what you did, right? Mm -hmm. So we all worked together. We decided on this plan and we did stick with it. So we did well as a team. Just maybe not every single one was at the highest level he wanted to be. But as a team, we did stick to our plan. We put our mark on the race. They did good, right? It's just, you know, what can you do? You know, Pogacar and, and, and Roch are just incredibly strong. Richie Port is coming back. Um, so, you know, it's, I mean, it looked good at the start. They dropped Nairo Quintana quite early. Guillaume Mateng was getting dropped. So, the, you know, positions... Um, Nine and ten, I think he got dropped. Um, then they actually got the Tom Dumoulin in trouble. So it looked okay for a while, but I believe he's just missing a bit freshness and he's, he's just tired, you know. But yes, he did work hard. The team was actually, for a moment, they were face-to-face -face or like equal in numbers with Team Jumbo Wisma. They had three guys there and Jumbo Wisma had three guys. So they were definitely one of the best and strongest teams and they did decide the race today. But yeah, well, you just don't always have to have the end. I believe at the dinner table, they're going to stick to us and go, listen, guys, it didn't work out, but hey, you know, what else could we have done? Just wait until we get budget, you know? So at least, you know, just go out and fight. It's always better than just get killed and like, don't even like, you know, put up a fight. They did put up a fight. So that was good. Kudos for being a good team today. Yeah, no, I was really impressed. I mean, Mate Mohorik pulled at the bottom of the climb, Peo Bibao, uh, Caruso. You know, when you look at the – when you, that was always one of those teams where, like, you looked at the strength of the guys on those teams and you sort of said, you know, boy, they have some real hitters on that team. Now, they're not mm. always – they're not always riding at the front and doing the Yumbo Visma, the sky thing. But if they ever wanted to, they could really do something. So kudos to them for picture, you know, picking today and targeting today as a day um, to do something. Um, so for months now, Tour de France organizers have been talking about this Col de la Lose and really trumping it up. And this is this magical new climb and it goes up a ski slope and higher altitude than we've gone. And, you know, this brilliant soaring climb and it, it it to me it really paid off it was a thrilling battle it was a uh, beautiful gorgeous scenery um i mean what do you think the future potential is of the col de la los do you think this is something that is a one-off do you see the tour coming back to this how have they how have they handled some of the the bigger climbs that have come up in recent years i mean we're all familiar with the galibier and the isoard that have been going on for you know, decades, but what's it like when a new climb like this gets brought into the race? I believe after you put so much effort and also resources into it, I mean, that was a brand new paved road you put up there, right? Um, you put all resources in there. I'm sure it's not a one, one day thing. Maybe not next year, but for sure, two years from now, you bring it back. Um, it's, it was probably, you know, the stage with the highest ratings, with the most number of viewers. 
um, spectators were up there, um, it was much anticipated and it did not disappoint. It was a spectacular stage. You have to say, me as a commentator, I found it really exciting to talk about it. But me as the ex-bike rider, I know that probably half of the peloton goes, what the heck was that? I mean, come on. If you need a triple chain ring, then that's mountain biking. Leave it to the mountain bikers, right? If you need this extreme little or small gears, 20% gradient, maybe it's a little too much. I mean, the two is hard enough the way it is already. Uh, it, not always. It's a good thing to go higher, better, stronger, more spectacular, right? Uh, so that's my view as a former bike rider. But as a commentator, I absolutely see the potential and I saw how thrilling it was. That's really interesting. I didn't even think about it that way that, yeah, the riders, you know, I mean, thinking about, yeah, the, the gearing that you would need and how the th most thrilling climbs for spectators might, you know, aren't always the favorite climbs of the riders. One thing I was thinking about was that, you know, climbs like the Isoard and Alpe d'Huez, they've been raced and reconned so many times that you guys must know these climbs like the back of your hand and know exactly when potential attacks could go or have gone in the past. And they've been raced so many times that there's this historical record of like battles on these climbs. When something is completely new like this, I mean, you can go and recon it and check it out, but like, what's the process like of the riders really getting to know a climb over time? Recon is good, but of course it's no substitute for racing. Racing, you just go faster, you go harder. You arrive there at the end of a stage, for example, right? When you do recon, maybe it's the first, like you do a half an hour easy in the valley, go up that the climb uh, today, and so you're fresh. You know, in a race, you come there after two and a half weeks with like close to 2,000 miles in the legs already. So it's different type of animal. And yeah, you just cannot pretend to be racing in training. So for most riders, today was like an eye-opener. And he went, holy smokes, that is a monster of a climb. Um, I actually um, I did call back to um, my old um, teammates at the Trexic Afredo team and uh, the mechanic. So all of the riders used um, 5239 in the front, chain ring, 5239. And the cassette went from 10 to 33. So the smallest gear they have is a 39-33. That is not far off for one-to-one, one, right? That is just nuts. That is just really crazy hard, right? Uh, apart from um, the world champion, Mats Pedersen, he just loves his 54-14 in the front, and he just doesn't want to change. So he just moved up there with a 41-33. But he's a big man. He's a big boy. He's a strong boy. Ouch. That's a lot of that's a low cadence going up a climb like that for old uh, for old pets. Oh my gosh, uh, Roglic. I mean, again, looking bulletproof. I mean, do you think anything is stopping him between now and Paris? Is he, um, you know, any signs of weakness? Did you see today? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, I mean, he's not gonna win the time trial by a minute, but um, see. Pogacar and Roglic, for sure, they're going to be first and second in Paris. And if Pogacar has like a little comeback, comes back stronger, they are still so close to each other in terms of level and fitness that if Pogacar is doing, is, is going to do the better time trial, 
somebody like Primoz Roglic is only going to lose 10, 50, maybe 20 or 25 seconds, but not 57. There's no way Pogacar is going to be 57 seconds faster than Roglic. It's going to be within 10, 15 seconds, I believe. And so the jersey is as safe as anything on the shoulders of Primoz Roglic. Okay. Well, you know, here's the last one for you, Jens. You know, a lot was being talked about on this climb about the altitude and Lopez saying, you know, I did really well because I come from altitude. I'm used to altitude. The top of the climb was 2,900 meters, so about 7,500 feet, which here in Colorado, that's that's not that high. I could go climb that out the door. No problem. But I know that for European riding, it's it's quite high. Um what stories of suffering do you have at high altitude? I remember used to come and race the USA Pro Challenge every year, and that would take riders up to 10,000 feet and 12,000 feet. And I'm curious if you have any memories of just really struggling and suffering in the high altitude. Actually, I'm happy you asked that. You will be laughing your head off in a minute. Here's my story. We get there, of course, way too late to tour of Utah, right? We only came in like three or four days before, which is not enough to get over jet lag, climate change, time zone change, right? And altitude. First day, um, they asked my Dutch teammate and me, um, hey guys, we uh, got, you know, Messi Boucher, uh, Ben King in good shape, you want to race? Can you go and chase? Can you like ride temperate? Yeah, yeah, why not? So you, you keep riding, you go, oh, this is easy, this is easy. Half of the race, you go, oh, ouch, ooh, oh. Then I get dropped. Um, it was not too much like a two or three mile climb back to the finish line, right? And I got dropped, and I got dropped with a sprinter. And so we were like last and second last on the stage. And I must have looked so tired that our freelance masseur, the tiny little woman, she said, oh, I felt so sorry. I wanted to carry you. And she looked so tired. I felt like I need to carry him back to your hotel. So I must have looked really bad, you know. If that uh, poor uh, masseur said, oh, I think I should carry it. I think he's too tired to actually walk or ride down like 500 yards, right down, uh, you know, uh, the road to the hotel. I said, no, no, I'm good, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to make my way to the hotel. It's no problem. But um, yeah, the, the masseur went, hey, look, I, I think I should just carry him. So yeah, I, I did feel really bad. It's like breathing out of a straw. Um, I, you know, I've grown up in Colorado, but I, I lived in California for a number of years. And when I would come back here, be riding my bike or running or swimming and it was just oh it was it was so painful but hey you overcame it you won a stage of the pro challenge into beaver creek i was there that day you looked very you looked very strong that day Mm -hmm. yes indeed and you know back to the tour one more time um they actually do sleep and start tomorrow at um at at altitude right i mean the first uh tomorrow the neutron start is 21 and a half kilometers what's that like 12 13 miles all downhill. So they actually, they do sleep at altitude and that actually might mess up a few bodies. If you just race up there for a few minutes and then you're down in the valley on the other side, that is okay. But sleeping up there, like 10, 12, 13 or 20 hours at altitude, your body is not ready for that. That might screw up a few bodies for tomorrow. And one last thing, the tour was so exciting today. We have completely forgotten to talk about the abandon of the defending champion, yeah. Egan Bernal, he's just a la casa. Just, he just, just, just went back home. Took an early flight in the morning, see ya. Yeah. So it, I, I can't make up my mind. I got one time I want to go, look, sometimes you put yourself in a shit situation and you just got to sit there and finish it. Show character and finish it. 
on the other side, if he got back pain and pain in his knees already or in one of his knees, um, then it's just not good for your health, right? Then it's better to say no. Clear, cut, stop, back home. Don't touch the bike for five days. Recover um, and come back. And um, here we go, my friends. Remember my words. Goodbye, Vuelta Captain Roel for Chris Romel. Yeah. Welcome, new captain for the Vuelta, Egan Bernal. Um, believe me, that is a fair chance that that might happen. But back to um, Team Ineos. Like, why the heck did he do a press conference on a rest day? Everybody else did one. If you're not good, well, then talk to the people. Don't leave the door wide open for speculations. Go out and tell them why you were not good, right? Um, and, like, they got to answer questions about his elections for the tour. Egan Bernal abandoned, like, after a stage in the Dauphine Libre, which is like a month ago. Like, he finishes the stage, and then they get, give out the press communique. Next day, he doesn't start, right? Because of a sore back. At the very same day, he has been seen out training. So you go, Mm. He abandons the race because he got a back pain, but now he's racing and training out there. Like, well, what is that, right? Did he have the back problem since then and he couldn't fix it? Why would you bring a rider to the tour who's not at 100%? I mean, who? how dare you to think somebody can recover in the tour? It's the bloody tour, right? So why, why did you bring him? Did yeah. he lie to us from the first day and he had a sore back from day one and he didn't tell us? Or didn't he have anybody else? Because, I mean, obviously they messed up their preparation. They need to look back two or three months and analyze what went wrong in the training and why did other teams work through this COVID-19 problem a lot better than us. So I believe it's actually, it's okay. It's good that he stopped. He is not in the shape. His head was about to fall off. He needs to recover his body, get healthy again. But he needs to come back this year and show I am still Egan Bernal, the former Tour de France winner. Jens, your comments make me so happy because I love it when um, retired riders get to see what life is like for us schlubs in the media where, you know, <laughs> some of these teams are great and they're given access and you can talk to the rider and the riders are forthcoming. And some of these teams, and look, Ineos and Sky have been this way forever where it's just like, nah, nothing, no press conference, no, no comments, no soundbite, no nothing for you. You can figure it out. And then they get very upset when we speculate and we say, oh, like, pull our hair out. What is going wrong? Um, and this, this has just been going on forever. It is, it is much more pronounced in the COVID year because there's no access to riders and um, mm -hmm. all the comments being put out there are very controlled. And, you know, it's the PR guy asking the question to the rider and then that, that's what you get. But, um, you know... You get to see what it's like to be in my seat, Jens, where no one wants to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, everything's great. Yeah, Egan's ready. Yeah, sure. He'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. He uh, lost uh, an hour <laughs> that day and then dropped out. Here's the plan for the future. We just go there, kick in the door, and then we just punch the answers out of them. Yeah. yeah that's what we do. You and me. Yeah. Come on, team. Sir Dave, you got to tell me the truth. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, I call the queen. If you don't tell me the truth, I'm going to call <laughs> gonna the queen. Call the queen. Uh, yes. Well, I'm going to hold you to that. I can't wait for that. Uh, 
Jens Vogt, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast. And again, Jens' segment's being brought to us by Trek and the new Go By Bike campaign, challenging anyone to replace one car trip with a bike ride once a week. Post about it on social media with the hashtag Go By Bike. Invite your friends and you can learn more at trekbikes.com forward slash Go By Bike. I can't wait to do it. Come on, Sir Dave. Tell us what the hell is going on here. You heard me talk about MitoQ at the top of the show. Many of us have heard of supplementing our training with the antioxidant CoQ10 for energy and recovery. MitoQ is a unique form of CoQ10 engineered to get inside the mitochondria in our cells to help create cellular energy and neutralize free radicals. MitoQ helps improve recovery, immunity, digestion, sleep, and stress, all of which will help you train better and be healthier. To learn more about the unique formula, to read some independent clinical trials, and read some athlete testimonials, go to www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling again www.mitoq.com forward slash power up cycling okay back to the podcast oh i'm uh, tired of course but uh it's been a really good race so far um really tough race but uh yeah feeling good enough to be looking forward to the third week <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's interesting because i think it's it's been such a strange year and and also with the the health protocols in the race um but at the same time you you feel the the energy of the race and and you from the beginning you feel that it's um at a, a much different level than than any race um in the world so that's a exciting feeling but it's also um <laughs> stressful at times Without so many of the crowds on certain climbs, it's it's a bit more uh, <laughs> peaceful. But I think overall, there's still a lot of energy behind the race, and uh, that's that's really exciting to be a part of. As riders, you're so focused on the the race and and everything that goes with that that everything else is is already um, channeled out. So even if it was the normal. Uh, media and and crowds and things like that we would still have the same focus so I think for us we're, we're just happy that we can race um, and then everything on the side is is uh, yeah what it is yeah I think um, the stage 15 was was a really really impressive day for everybody on the team um, yeah we we rode within ourselves but also uh, yeah, did, did a lot of damage, I guess, when, when I would look back on the climbs. And um, also the, the ninth stage was a really uh, strong day for the team. Uh, all, all the stages that have been really tough days, we've, we've been able to, to step up quite a bit. Uh, I think it depends. I mean, the, the level is, is so high, so it's, um, yeah, it's, it's different to compare yourself to, to other people, but um, my, my feeling is, is good, and, and I can be, be happy with that. Yeah, so far so good, but um, yeah, still have the third week, and, and so much can change there. There's, there's a lot of hard stages, but luckily we've seen, seen a lot of the route um, uh, in, in recon, so that helps too. But uh, yeah, so far we're, we're on the right track. For this story, it was just to be there in the key moments in the mountains um, and stay with the, the leaders like Primo's as long as possible. Um, 
you know, in such a mountainous tour, it's uh, really important to have uh, a lot of helpers in the mountains and just have that uh, presence in the, the hard stages. I think the the fourth stage that, that Primo's won, I, it was really uh, fun to be a part of that. And we, we had a strategy more or less of how we wanted to do it and, and it worked out. Um, but uh, to be honest, every every win we've had this tour, it's it's been really fun for me because it's uh, yeah just really nice to be a part of that atmosphere and, and such a strong team. Every day we've seen everybody more and more tired. So I think in in this last week, only the the riders that have um, the energy left uh, mentally and physically are going to be able to do something. So. Uh, yeah, it'll be, be really tough. Oh, it meant a lot to me to hear I was selected for the tour. Um, it, it was something that I never imagined <laughs> before. Um, but of course it's the biggest race in cycling. So it was, uh, yeah, really a big privilege and it, it gave me a lot of motivation to, to be, be ready and work hard to, um, give my best for the race. Oh, it's really nice. He's, um, uh, he's so consistent and uh yeah he, he's really motivating just just by the the confidence he has um and yeah for me that that's really easy to work with because he's he's very stable and uh yeah you can also learn a lot from him in that way yeah well i i don't even know how i ended up in the the first echelon that day but normally i'm not so good in the, <laughs> in the wind but uh yeah that for me that was probably the hardest day of the race uh just fighting in the wind and, and pulling on the front but i was happy to to do the work because it was um all the the top riders they're they're so close in in the mountains and um it's uh sometimes hard to make huge differences there so you have to uh really be sharp in in every single stage and and always be in in the front of the race so i think that showed uh our strength there but uh, then again, in, in the third week, I think that's where a lot of differences will be made. Not everybody's going to be as fresh. Uh, yeah, not counting so much. I think a lot of them have been just, uh, yeah, opportunities that, that uh, presented themselves. And, um, yeah, they, they worked out well. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to pick any certain goal for later. Uh, focused on on bringing the yellow jersey being there for primos and yeah to to end with that in paris would be a huge huge accomplishment for for everybody on the team hey before we get to andrew hood and james start i want to talk to you guys about an exciting new wrinkle we have with our Active Pass membership. Look, we launched Active Pass about two months ago, and since then we've had a ton of signups, and I've, ha- I've gotten a lot of messages from readers, uh, both positive, hey, I love this thing, and also saying, you know, Active Pass is cool, but there's elements of it that don't really apply to me. I'm not super interested in coaching or access to live events. What I really want is content. I want Bell News Magazine. I want access to the daily exclusive content and all the stuff you're doing around the Tour de France. Well, guess what? We have a new membership that is catered to you if you are one of these people. Um, It's called Velo News Pass. It is $49 for an annual subscription, and it includes all of the exclusive content 
on fellownews.com. So that's all of the membership roundtables, hoodies column, um, archive pieces, daily analysis, and exclusive news pieces. Uh, in addition to a year subscription to Bell News Magazine, that's nine issues. And we're also throwing in the industry deals like Pro Deals to Jordana, uh, Scratch Labs, some other companies in there. And yeah, that's what's included in the new VeloNews Pass. It's $49. You can learn more or sign up at VeloNews.com slash ActivePass. But this is a new a new membership product. I'm really excited about it. Again, you know, this was born from a lot of readers um, and your feedback. So continue to reach out via social media or web letters at VeloNews.com. And if you want more information on ActivePass or VeloNewsPass, check out VeloNews.com slash ActivePass. Okay, let's hear from Andy Hood and James Stark. Good evening from an ice rink at the base of the Maribel ski area here with James Start, Andrew with your big day at the Tour de France. Uh, we're up here high altitude. The weather held a lot of crowds on the road today. Huge big day on the GC. And uh, James, you were there. You, you were in the front row. Tell us about what you saw up there. Yeah, I was, a, I was on a moto. Uh, uh, I'm on a moto in the Alps here. And uh, we went up the Col de la Loz which was much anticipated and proved to be everything we expected. I have to say, Andy, that was probably the hardest climb I've ever seen on the Tour de France. It was just insane. I mean, once we crested Mirabel and we went off in that sort of, you know, it wasn't a, yeah, it was like an access road that they paved over. And then I think it turned into actually like a, a, a ski piste, right? And it was sick. It was just so narrow and so steep. I mean, so steep. My, my moto driver was scared. He's like, we're not going to make it around this turn. That's, he's like, there's just no way I'm going to be able to keep my speed. And, and they were attacking. <laughs> they, were, they were going, you know, and we were like trying to get out of their way. It was, it was something else. And, I mean, we, there's about 12 of us out there shooting, right? And we each have our turn. And usually, this was last in 6K, you can probably cut, drop back three times and photograph. I was lucky to get one shot and Carapaz was at the front at that point and then I just bolted ahead I said I'm not going to get anything today if I do this and it went up to about the kilometer mark where I found a nice space and worked it from there but you know amazing uh, amazing stage today uh, tell uh, tell the listeners James just what, it, what what it's like to be in the motorbike and during a Tour de France stage I mean uh, you know we see you guys out there buzzing around like wasps around just kind of talk about uh, you know the protocol how that works how that's organized uh, you know because there is a there is a kind of a way that you guys organize that kind of controlled chaos. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good word. Um, where the protocol is that when you want to photograph, you go to the top of the line, and the last person in the line is dropping back when the regulator, the uh, the, the guy who's controlling the the flow, says it's your turn. You just sort of drift back, and then you go back up to the top of the line and come and sort of it's a sort of a reverse. What, what do you call it? Rotation, I guess. And the last person, you're slowly dropping back closer to the riders, and the last person back then gets his chance to go photograph or hers. And uh, so, the, so, so, so the guy that's last in that line is the one that's taking the photo. And right. He goes back to the then front. Then he goes and back to the front. Around. Right. Gotcha. And um, you know, you're not supposed to cut in line, and you know this and that. But that that's the kind of golden rules you got to fo follow. Either be it if you're uh, at the front of the breakaway or the front of the. Uh, 
the pack. And then you can stop, depending on the gaps and stuff, and get a shot, you know, from different perspectives. You're not fo forced to shoot. Actually, you know, you get a lot more options when you're on a moto. But often when I'm working just, you know, and I have one shot to set up that day, often I can get a better shot. One single shot that may be better because I have more time to think it out and work it out. But um, but not always, you know. I, I was pretty happy with the selection today. But it's crazy out there. You know, you think you see shots, you know you want these shots. There's so many shots you miss. And it's, you never quite know what you're going to get. And hopefully you get something you like. And you usually do. You know, I was actually pretty happy with today's selection. It was one of my better days um, uh, this year in the tour. Also, I think the fact that we were, you know, so high. You got, there is something to be said for these high, high mountains because you get way up above the tree lines. And, you know, the, I was... The horizontal I, lines. Yeah, the I love different. that. And, um, and you just there's a sense of drama up there you don't get on a 1,500-meter climb. It's very hard to get because you're still, like, in the trees and, and or close to it and stuff. And it's a very different kind of uh, look. Now, what about these uh, these, these old uh, uh, rumors? Or what's the right word? Oh, not wives' tales, but uh, help me out here. It's just week three of the Tour de France. My mind's kind of fried. But anyway, we heard these old stories, you know, that a rider will wait to attack until his preferred photographer is, <laughs> is lined up so that they can get the shot. I mean, maybe times have changed, but that was a story back in the day that, you know, there was maybe fewer photographers on the circuit, and a rider would be looking around waiting for his shooter to uh -huh. get in that position in the line and then he would attack and the shot would be there i have never ever heard that to be honest with you but there are there are riders that you seem to connect with and like one that i i connect with is is julian alaphilippe we've known each other since his amateur days um and he you know i won't say we work together but I, there's just something like i he is so i think he's such a beautiful rider He's just, you know, the way he holds his handlebars, the way he throws the bike back and forth, very expressive, um, and looks just really great on a bike, at least for me. And, and so he's, it's easy for me to photograph him, and he likes my pictures, and I, I share them with him, and um, he, he says the same thing. So sometimes there is a sort of camaraderie that develops with certain riders. But um, does he wait to attack till James is dropping back? No, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> you wish, you uh -huh. wish. Now, what about, I mean, I've been on the motorbike a few times, uh, you know, because they do have these motorbikes for the written press. And not only is it a harrowing experience, it is also quite funny. You're in the bunch and, and the riders recognize you and the, and the sport directors will see you ride by. And, you know, and especially for me, because, you know, I've only, you know, I've been done that a few times over the years. I was getting heckled and people laughing at me. I'm, I'm sure it's maybe a little bit different for you if you're out there every day. No, no, there's there's a camaraderie. And um, while, you know, what we're doing is very, very different, I would never confuse uh, taking pictures from a motorbike with actually racing. Um, there's a, there's a, once you're in that bubble, there's a camaraderie. And I noticed that um, in Perry Nice a few years back when um, uh, my moto driver uh, slid out and crashed um, in a very hairy, yeah, Patrice, very hairy, rainy, pouring down descent as it can be often in Nice. And the riders and te team directors who came up to me and, you know, just really wanted to know how it was how it was um because for them you know they understand what it's crashing what crashing is like going down and descent if you're on a moto or on a bike it's gonna hurt and so there's there's um a, a certain camaraderie i think that that's there and you know uh a long like a long hot day where nothing is happening is as exhausting for not as exhausting but it's, it's exhausting for us and the riders 
you know so sometimes even though we're not pedaling we are experiencing some of the same things as the riders because you are in that bubble um but i I have to say that uh, the times that i have been on the motorbike that's when you truly realize how fast these guys are moving how skilled they are at bike handling and really how sketchy and dangerous the whole scene is i mean just going through a village Going down any road, these are all off-camber kind of, you know, they're the third, fourth category roads that are, uh, you know, the secondary roads in France. And actually, the French roads in general are very, very good. It's like, it's even worse than the Giro and the Welton, some of these other places. Well, today I went down uh, the Madeleine. Uh, I went down. I had a shot I wanted to get on the descent. I love the descent of the Madeleine. So then I, I let some the riders go, and then I follow one. And Benoit Cosnefois, who was the, who's had the uh, polka dot jersey now for almost two weeks, uh, had gotten dropped, and he was catching up. At one point, he was with uh, with the world championship uh, champion uh, Pedersen, and then um, and then he was solo. And I was just I was like my motor driver wanted to pass them, and I said, No, no, this is a great spot. Let's just stay right here. Let's stay right. We were right by the TV moto, following Cosnefois on his polka dots. And, you know, he was down in that tuck, you know, that tuck they get on the top tube and just going for it every straightaway. And I was like right behind him. It was pretty impressive to watch. And he caught back up to the peloton. Well, I have to say I I am missing actually like because actually the uh, photographers that are out on the bike every day, they're actually a pretty good source of kind of, uh, you know, uh, just a a view into the peloton. Uh, I know a few of you guys are on the bikes. Now, you know, a lot of my, you know, I see my, my buddy, the photographer or the motor driver, you know, having a coffee in the village and like, like, hey, who are you seeing that's looking good in the mm-hmm. bunch? Because, you know, the, the people that are out there every day, you know, it's the sport directors and the photographers that really see it, you know, see the leg speed, see who's pedaling, see who's suffering, yep. see who's like just getting trailed off the back in the accelerations. And that comes in really handy. In the little betting games that we like to play. Yes. <laughs> well, we put our bets in before the race starts. And, but, um, yeah, I mean, like, t- you know, you were talking up uh, Landa yesterday, hoping he was going to throw the bomb. And he tried. But I was sitting there photographing him. And I was like, man, he looks like he's hurting as much, if not more, than some of his teammates. Yeah. And, you know, what happened? He, he ended up getting his... He, Went to the you know his team rode at the front all day and then he was the one that got popped. Oh yeah, he got popped. Yeah. And as soon as it got steep right through the ski village here, yeah. on those first switchbacks, I mean, I mean, Landa had that look in his face. It was. I mean, Not, he's getting he's getting uh, he's getting some grief on uh, social media. You know, the haters and the trolls were out there piling on Landa. But I always say to anybody that uh, criticizes these guys, like, let's see you get on the bike and uh, and be in the oh, yeah. third, third week of the Tour de France and and. Uh, try to attack off the front. I mean, what, what an interesting stat that came out today of this final climb. You said it's the hardest climb you've ever seen in your many, many years mm-hmm. as uh, following the circuit here. And the average speed of Miguel Angel Lopez, who won today's stage of the whole climb from the base of the valley mm-hmm. below Marybelt, you know, the whole 17K summit, 21 Ks an hour. Well, there's a couple steps. There's a couple points where, you know, it flooded out, but not many. I mean, that was one steep mother. It was just, I was like... Jeez, um, and very happy I was on a motor and not riding. I'll tell you that. I did see a lot of e-bikes today. Did you? That would have been the way to go new, for uh, most. New admiration for the e-bike <laughs> because uh, new admiration for the e-bike because uh, you know that that those guys were not suffering nearly as much as the riders going out. But um, uh, what else? I mean, a lot of crowds today up there. I mean, you know, last couple of days we've had the the COVID controls. We're out of the red zone. Crowds were out. I mean, I was actually surprised when, because we, I didn't see anybody really come up to here. Of course, everyone drove up here, and then they walked up the last. Uh, well, they had, there was also the ski lifts. <clears throat> I had the ski lifts yes. going, so it was it was actually packed. Yeah, and uh, I didn't realize there were so many people up front up on the top of this climb. And I, you know, there was some, um, you know, kind of. Um, 
you know, uh, people saying, well, oh, this is not really the best look for a race that's in, in a world pandemic. But, you know, fans were out. The VIP sections were full. The finish line was full. You know, <laughs> good thing the tourists only got three or four more days yeah. to go. That's what I got to say. Well, I was where I was. There was not, you know, I, I went to a place actually where there weren't many fans. Um, but, yeah, they were, they were out. Um, but it is what it is. You know, they, they reinforce the masks. Uh, say now, you know, the race is going to be here in five minutes. Obligatory mask until the broom wagon. And, you know, uh, it's people's honor at some point. But, um, but uh, you know, whatever. The race is almost over, and it's been a pretty good race. Yeah. I mean, uh, on the Monday, you know, the COVID test came back zero cases in the whole peloton, which was better than the last round that we had four cases on four different teams. Um, you know, the big news uh, since the rest day, of course, was what happened to uh, Mr. Egon Bernal. I mean, uh, you know, everyone when he won last year, everyone's saying, oh, pfft, you know. On Team Ineos, he's going to win the next five tours. But as we know in cycling history, you know those those prognostics don't always come true. Uh, what's your take on Bernal? Did you see anything uh, during this tour that made you think that he was not going to finish this tour? Uh, not so much from you know being on a bike or something. But you know, I was uh, I was on the uh, Grand Colombier, uh, you know, and he'd already been dropped, and that was like eight k from the from the finish, and he was just looked bad so um you know he's been talking about uh knee issues uh back issues um maybe some mental issues because uh, mm. once you know once you start getting dropped yeah. it's a whole different game you start seeing the race from behind instead of in front and it's can get really ugly really quick uh he came in with very high expectations and they got you know pretty much shattered Steamrolled. so you know they're they're gonna all have to go back to the drawing board they've been throwing you know carapaz out in the brakes every day trying to trying to salvage something here but you know uh you know very disappointing tour for Ineos, obviously yeah i mean the end of an era really because they, they had won uh you know seven of the eight last uh, tours to france uh with four different winners uh, we kind of retraced this some of this ground the other day, but really just to see the the team implode, to see Bernal out of the tour, uh, I'm still quite stunned by that. Um, but it's like uh, the king is dead, uh, long live the king, and Yumbo Visma is just blazing, you know, really s- stepping into that void. And you know, they took it to Ineos this year and just creamed them. Yeah. And uh, you know, now today, uh, you know, it was quite an exciting finish there uh, on those last uh, really steep kilometers. Uh, Sepp Kuss went off the front, our, our buddy uh, Colorado boy. Uh, you know, an American hadn't won a stage at the Tour de France, I think, in eight or nine years. So there was some expectation that maybe, you know, they're playing that card and Sepp was going to go. Uh, Miguel Alan Lopez went right with him. And then uh, Sepp kind of looked back and he could see, you know, he was obviously riding for uh, Roglic, that scenario, waiting to see what happened. And then um, kind of ended up sitting up and then, uh, and then uh, uh, you know, Roglic and Pogacar came past him and he finished fourth. Still, I mean, what a great tour Sepp has been having. I mean, he was the last man standing for uh, Roglic today. You know, as his, uh, as his um, uh, palace, you know, I mean, Americans have had a pretty good tour. They don't have, there are not many of them there, but they've been riding very respectably. But yeah, Sepp, tremendous. I mean, obviously the key mountain man, I mean, they save him. He's, he's their last card for Roglic. Um, and, you know, I'll be curious to see, uh, you know, which uh, GC Grand Tour he chooses to go for because one of these years, uh, I think maybe already next year, uh, he might be going for a Volta or a Giro uh, and have have a little room to run for himself. It'd be really interesting to see. But um, yeah, but do you take a guy that's that good? Take him off your tour team. You got a guy like Roglic who's emerging. I mean, he he could win. You know, 
Well, they may they may put they may put him in the tour, and then he may he could race the Welta later, and with what he's got left. But you know, a lot of guys have now proven that they can they can come back and be competitive in both. Or or you let him go for the Giro, knowing that you know. I mean, there's there are there have been days here where they've let him kind of sit in, you know, because the team team is deep enough. Um, so you know, knowing that he's not he doesn't have to be there every day. And um, a couple of days he'll you know sit up. I don't know. It's it, we'll see. Or maybe uh, he'll have to wait another year, and maybe another team will pick him up, and um, and he'll be riding the Tour de France as leader. Who knows? But you said the king is dead. Long live the king. Let's wait until next year, okay? Let's wait until Paris. It's, let's, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> might have and a, there's a lot of potential kings. Bernal could certainly be back. Pogachar is going to be back. Oh, yeah. And that team is going to be back with a different team. That team, because he's going he's to have a team around him next year. This year, he was he was going into this as a sort of learning, cur- you know, experience. And what a learning curve it was. But, I mean, he just... He just took it on, and um, you could only imagine what it would be like if he had a real team. Um, so you, you, they've 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 been um, the UEA team has recruited very very well in the last couple of years, and they're going to continue to do that. And they're going to come to this next year's tour with a team probably as good as as um, as, uh, as the Ineos or um, uh, John Bovisno. Mm, I'll kindly disagree with you on that last point because I think those two teams are well above. But anyway, uh, what struck me about this stage today, this is a bad stage for Pogachar, and he lost 15 seconds. Um, the Still, even like guys rolling in that uh, were kind of dropped, even a guy like uh, even Landa, who everyone was laughing at, lost 120. Uh, Richie Port got dropped, kind of dug in, um, you know, 112. I mean, the differences in cycling these days are so thin. I mean, we're coming into this race. The GC still is less than one minute. Uh, you have your man there at Redlich uh, ahead of Pagachar, 57 seconds. Uh, of course, you know, we've had tours that, that finished with less, but it's still, uh, it always just amazes me at the level of, a, of the tour. It, it, every year it's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. And we're, you know, we still have a big dog fight for the, for the podium. And man, you know, I, you can't rule out Pogachar. I mean, he, you know, he's less than a minute back, and all you need is a little hiccup on Roglic tomorrow. You know, we got to do this again tomorrow, and tomorrow is almost harder stage than today. Well, he, you know, Pogachar is going to have to would have to really pull out a huge, huge ride. I think, I think that for me, Roglic today proved that he's the strongest. He uh, raced as a yellow jersey, and he really went out there and won it today. Um, I think you know he deserves to win, and I think he probably will, but. Pogachar, I can't say enough about him. He's, I mean, I th- he's been the sensation of the tour and the revelation of the tour. And I think he, uh, I really think, I think in the next uh, couple of years, there are at least three riders who are going to have equal ground to, to win the tour. Pogachar, Roglic, and Bernal. Um, so, uh, well, James, I think it's time for us to try to find a restaurant that's over. It's been, uh, it's actually been a pretty good tour for plenty of restaurants. Yeah, no problems. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of worried about tonight, though. <laughs> Is this, yeah. So, well, we have to get down the mountain first, and then we'll figure it out. We have to get down the mountain. And then we'll be up in the sunny Moutier. It's not ski season right no. now. All right. You all have fun. Thanks.